The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Will scientific investigation ever explain mystical experience? Can mystical experience ever enlighten science? And will science and religion ever reconcile their differences? Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANDS, IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and Talk Zone Radio. My name is Lee Whitting, and I'll be your host for today's exploration of the interplay between the scientific mindset and the mystical explorations of the near-death experience. Since before the Enlightenment, there has been a growing struggle between the scientific and the faith-based understanding of things. One problem was the two viewpoints were looking through opposite ends of the telescope. Scientific investigation generally investigates the particular, from the parts of the atom to a polar bear's DNA, and tries to build verifiable theories from the observations, while faith looks at God and the big picture and tries to particularize and individualize from that. Science relies on verified replication of results from its experiments, while a mystical experience can seem to defy all the known rules of physics as a one-time event. How can these two ways of thinking ever be reconciled? Well, it's taken science a long time to begin to appreciate the seemingly illogical, but in the last century it began to take shape. One of the biggies was Einstein's explanation of how the speed of light Matter and time were interrelated. The time could slow with speed that tiny bits of matter could be converted to massive amounts of energy are now considered scientific fact rather than uh, mystical insight. And those discoveries can and have influenced religious faith. Or take the Bible story of creation. Until the 1950s, scientists generally believed the universe had always existed until the Big Bang theory of creation paralleled the story of Genesis. Today's musings about quantum theory, dubbed spooky by Einstein, are even more profound in entangling science and faith today. They suggest that space may be an illusion and that consciousness may be universal. Which brings us to our guest, Alan Ross Huguenot. In 1970, Alan had a near-death experience which changed his perspective on everything. He has spent more than 40 years collating scientific studies of consciousness, survival, and the afterlife of, uh, from many points of view, including NDEs, reincarnation studies, past life regression therapy, after-death communications, and the insights gained from quantum mechanics. He is the author of The Death Experience, What It Is Like When You Die. Alan, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you very much, Lee. Glad to be here. Um, Alan, perhaps we could begin by your telling us a little about your NDE and the impact it had on your life. Well, up until the NDE, I, I thought that the material reality was all there was. Um, I'd been raised in the church, but, you know, I still saw everything as physical. And um, after the NDE, I realized that the physical is an illusion and that the spirit is reality. Um, you know, the being in... Uh, you call it spirit or consciousness, I guess you can call it. Uh, on the other side, when you're over there, you're more real than you are 
here in what we call reality. Um, you have an expanded consciousness, and and it's just more real. And everyone I've ever spoken to who's had a near-death experience and been to the other side says the same thing. It's more real over there than it is here. And so there I was as a young man in college studying physics, and um, it changed my whole perspective. Everyone else was inside the Newtonian box of Newtonian physics materialism, and I was on both sides. I was learning to do, use all of the uh, equations that we use for force and and uh, to understand matter and to engineer things. And yet I knew that this is not what's real. And so I have two realities, this one and the real one. Uh, one of the um, fascinating details of your book are the uh, references to early statements from Egyptian history and from Buddhism that indicate there was a very early understanding of uh, what we call virtual reality and even string theory. Um, is this evidence of an earlier sophisticated civilization that was later lost to history? I believe that that's probably so. Uh, I'm still researching in that area. I know that uh, the library at Alexandria that was created by Alexander in about 336 A.D., or excuse me, B.C., and then from then on, uh, was destroyed in about 391. It, it uh, collected all the evidence, all of the knowledge in the world for about 700 years, and then we destroyed it. And uh, we had the Dark Ages that, that um, set in, and, and um, most most of the world became illiterate except for the priests. And... Um, a lot was lost. They knew about the uh, precision of the uh, equinox, the procession of the equinox. They knew all of that, and we didn't rediscover most of this, that the, that the Earth was round. They had the circumference of the Earth figured out. All of that has been rediscovered, that they actually knew that. And we destroyed all that knowledge and didn't rediscover it until the 1600s, 1700s. Um, they knew all of that previously. And so what else did they know that we haven't yet rediscovered? We've, we've done a lot with, with the um, uh, quantum electrodynamics, but what did they know that we're unaware of? Mm. Uh, that, that's a big question to me. They, they must have known a lot of things. And so I, I am studying that area still uh, because thought Hermes uh, 6,000 years ago in ancient Egypt said the universe is mental. And here we are today saying we believe now that the universe is made of consciousness. Isn't that the same thing? Certainly sounds like it to me. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, Thothermes also said everything's made of vibrations. So where are we at? Here's another mm -hmm. one that uh, I came on to the other day. When you, when you take string theory and M theory, you'll come up with 11 dimensions, fine, with M theory. And if you subtract the first three, that leaves eight undiscerned dimensions. You look at all the spiritual traditions, they talk about heaven or the other side, and each of the traditions has seven levels with a god or supreme consciousness above that, which is the eighth dimension. There's the eight, the eight missing dimensions. So those spiritual traditions, thousands of years ago, were talking about the eight missing dimensions of string theory and imther. Well, that's very interesting. Do you suppose the first one is that ghostly realm that uh, is still attached, seems to be attached to the Earth? Yes, that's probably the fourth dimension. Mm. All of it existing dark energy, which is 96% of the universe that we haven't yet discerned. So 
when we say that we see 4% of the universe, which is light energy, and we say that we can see that and we can't see the rest that we haven't discerned it yet, and then we go and make the statement, but we know everything. If you, if you can't, if it isn't visible and can't see it, it doesn't exist, it's not matter. Wait a minute, there's 96% out there that we haven't discerned. There's a lot of room for those other dimensions. And that first dimension would be, as you say, uh, very close to the Earth, where mm. probably polar guys hang out. Uh, when I was looking at your book, I, I couldn't help but think, when you were talking about the 96% that's dark energy, yet when we cross over, we talk about this amazing light that we see, what the relationship of dark energy to the spiritual light might be. You're wondering if the light that we see is in light energy. Well, yes, is it is that light or is that a, just a mirror of the dark energy that we're talking about? I believe that the light exists in the dark energy, okay? <clears throat> we see it as light when we're over there. We're in an expanded consciousness. We see it, <clears throat> or we describe it that way. What we're really describing is an energy center that is very attractive and bright to us, but what are we really seeing? Because we don't see with visual eyes. Uh, blind people having an near-death experience can see on that side, and they can't see on this side. We're not seeing um, like we do here. Um, Penn Van Rommel, the uh, cardiac surgeon from Holland who <clears throat> has studied near-death uh, experiences involved with cardiac arrest for many years, he says, that perception on that side is very different. It is, um, you, you see from above and you see 360 degrees at the same time. It's not like we do here where we, our perception is, is, is used visually eyes. So the perception over there sees the light as light, but is it really light energy? I believe it's dark energy. Now that's just my theory. And I, I say believe with a heavy emphasis on I believe that's what it yes. may be. <laughs> I am working on discovering how to put consciousness into our um, Newtonian box of Newtonian physics and expand it to include consciousness. I'm, tr I'm working very hard on that. Uh, I haven't got all that put together, and I talked to other people about it, other physicists. We're all working on it, those who happen to be on the paranormal side of the, the ledger. The other, the other question that came to mind was... Um, you know, there's so much emphasis in the uh, spiritual world on, uh, especially in Buddhism, on, on being uh, living in the now. And when we're on the other side, are we living in the now, or are we um, universally aware of the of the past and possibly even the future? Yeah, time <clears throat> does not exist, and we we know that from quantum physics that time and space do not exist; they're illusions. But for, to put it into our minds, so we can understand it. If you think about time as a circle, um, Einstein said a curve. I like to think of it as a circle. It goes around in a circle. For instance, what was here just before the Big Bang? Okay, if you define that, you say, well, I think God was here just before the Big Bang. Okay, what was here just before God? You keep going with this, this unending sequence of what was here just before that, what was here just before that. Time cannot have a beginning, because if time had a beginning, what was here just before that? Right. <laughs> and I cannot have an ending because what's going to happen right after that? Um, so if, if you're going to be linear about it, it can't have a beginning or an end. It must be circular. Okay. On the other side, time ceases. Uh, all of the near-death experiencers will tell you time seemed to cease. It wasn't in effect. It wasn't there. 
time, future, past are all at the same time. When you look at Alfred North Whitehead's um, process as the way things are, life is a process. Um, it changes everything. Life is not um, just in, in a linear time. Um, he talks about things like your future, you envision it, and the future works from back to you into the present now. That's time moving backwards. Um, and we have some other signs. I can't remember the names right now. Um, just not coming to my mind. Um, who talk about this anticipatory thing where time works backwards, and they can show through experimentation that time actually does work backwards in anticipation of things. And so time does not just go in the one direction. We've always seen this one arrow of time from the past to the future. On the other side, there is no difference between past, future, and present. And it is what the Buddhists talk about, living in the now. Mm. The, the, the future, the afterlife is just now. That's a tough one to figure out, but it's really that way. It is, and it, and it also raises questions about free will and um, and Calvinist uh, predestination. Yes, um, it, it's hard to think if if we're following a a path that has a destiny that we're we're predestined to accomplish. How can we have free will? And again, that's time is an illusion. But let's suppose we have free will to choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. Or just you get only two choices: right and wrong. Okay. So we choose to do the wrong thing, uh, we'll get another chance to choose the right thing until we finally choose the right thing. So we, we can expand time all we want. We can have maybe many lifetimes. I don't want to say yes or no there. I just want to say maybe many lifetimes. Or um, we have levels that we advance in, and we make progress after we leave this life, and in the afterlife we make progress. But we have the free will to waste our time, if you can see it that way. Mm. Okay, if we waste the time, we create more time to waste, and we waste it, and we could spend uh, a million years getting ready to make the right decision, and then we make the right decision, we advance. I don't know. Is that how that works? Can you tell me? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But in your book, you seem to reject the notion of uh, the resurrection of the physical body. But um, you des- definitely show evidence of reincarnation. Many many stories uh, about uh, children who remember previous lives. Do you suppose the notion of uh, resurrection of the body—that's sort of a fundamental Christian belief—and um, reincarnation are related, and that Christianity has just misunderstood reincarnation? Very definitely, I think that's that's a very good uh, description of it. The um, it is a misunderstanding of what's taking place in reincarnation. Most near-death experience uh, survivors have actually done what the Christians talk about when they say they're born again. They've been reborn in the same body. Well, that's exactly what happens in a near-death experience. You die, and you come back and are reborn in the same body with a new ego, and not the same ego you had before. That's that's why the, the change in ego is what um, water calls the brain shift. And it's you're a different person, and yet your family thinks you're the same person. And often they go through divorces and all kinds of things because the, the near death survivor does because uh, they're not the same person. They're not the same ego. They're the same soul, different ego, and they're back in the same body. Um, and that's what 
they're saying, you know, they want to be born again Christian. They want to be reborn again as a new person in the same body. Well, that's what their death experience is. I think all of that, that and Jesus' resurrection, all of that is a misinterpretation of the near-death experience being interpreted by people who were maybe writing the scriptures who maybe hadn't had the NDE and were trying to define it and trying to put it into words. And all of us NDE survivors have very great difficulty putting it into words because words talk about things here in space, time and space, and we're talking about consciousness outside of time and space, and it's very difficult for us to put it into words. So, of course, it gets misinterpreted into the scriptures because everyone sees it slightly differently, and we each say it in different ways when we get back because it's indescribable. Trying to describe the indescribable, you will have uh, scriptures that don't agree. That's what we have religious wars about. Mm. But of course, but a I, lot of the a lot of the um, religious writings probably did come from a mystical experience of one form or another, and uh, should be they should be reconcilable. I don't know if um, that's failed because of the politics that get to be involved in religion, or whether it's um, uh, just a human misunderstanding. I, I think it's a little bit of both, human misunderstanding, and the other one is the egos get in there. If I'm right, you're wrong. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, and especially when someone isn't quite sure, they will defend it vehemently, whatever they're not quite sure about, because that makes them feel more sure. So, um, anytime somebody doesn't believe something, they'll try to convince everyone else. If they believe it, they know it, but then what, you don't have to convince anybody, you know. Mm. Uh, to, uh, to change, uh, the direction slightly, how would you e- explain, um, quantum theory fl- reflecting a universal consciousness? Okay, um, quantum theory brings us down to what, what's, what's a quark made out of? And, uh, <laughs> it's just a spin. It's just a, um, it's really just a thought. It's just a piece of consciousness. Um, and, when you take consciousness and make the universe conscious and the, and the basic building block in particle physics is consciousness or the idea or the knowledge that is there, um, consciousness explains everything beautifully. Uh, every one of our paranormal situations or what they call paranormal, I call paranormal normal, and I call not having paranormal the paranormal. Uh, not believing in the paranormal is not normal. That's what I'm trying to say there. Um, when when you do that uh, and use consciousness as a basic building block, all of the supposedly uh, contradictory theories and things that we have dovetail together and become one theory. And uh, they're always looking for a, a theory of everything, and they're always trying to find that theory of everything. And they Apparently, because they're stuck in the Newtonian box, they want to do that without consciousness. Well, the theory of everything involves consciousness, and once you allow consciousness to be the theory of everything, all the other theories make sense. Everything makes sense. Um, you, you can make sense of time not make uh, make sense of time being only an illusion. You can you can put it all together when you get consciousness. I like to look at it this way. Let's go back to the Big Bang. And let's talk about the quantum physics of the state vector collapse. In quantum physics, we have the, we have Schrodinger's wave theory that 
everything is potential. Everything is what might exist out there. It's a potential. You have the wave function. Everything is potential. It's a, a million different potentialities. Uh, and whenever we have the observer come in and make a measurement to see something, then it, the state vector collapse causes reality to come into existence. Okay? And when that happens, it requires an observer. Now go back to the Big Bang. Who observed that? You can't have well, the state collapse that caused the Big Bang until there's an observer. There has to be a consciousness there looking at that. Right. Otherwise, the observer principle isn't true. Quantum physics isn't true. You have to have an observer to observe to create the state vector collapse that caused the Big Bang. So you must have consciousness in existence prior to the rest of everything. Consciousness is the basic building block. It's about that simple. But when you're not trained with that or you haven't grown up with that, it's hard to move your mind there. That's where we need to go. Yeah. There's an MIT scientist, Gerald Schroeder, who uh, looked at the Big Bang and uh, applied Einstein's mathematics to it and came up with a uh, conclusion that, um, from God's point of view, standing outside of the Big Bang, outside of the universe as it was being created, that um, time was so distorted by the um, mechanics of the Big Bang that 13 three-quarter billion years went by within the universe, but for God it was only equivalent to six of our 24-hour days. <laughs> and so he, he was so moved by this calculation that he went back to his Orthodox Judaism and moved back to Jerusalem and I believe is is still teaching at one of the colleges there. I better read what he had to say. That's interesting. That's very interesting to me. <laughs> what, what uh, always, to get, go ahead. What I always say to that six days business is, the, if you read Genesis carefully, it, it says it twice. There's actually two stories in Genesis of creation. Um, <clears throat> the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. Oh, how did they measure the first three days? The 24 hours, there was no sun. Um, so you can't say they're 24-hour days anyway. <laughs> well, what, that's, that. that's true. I think what he said was that at the, at the first there was so much heat that uh that light couldn't escape from the um that matter was too hot for for light to escape from it and so that it was dark at first but i'm doing this from memory so i can't i can't tell you for sure what his what his uh teaching was on that i'll read gerald schroeder what he said i'll i'll look him up okay um to change direction again a little bit um in uh, not too long ago, you wrote an article for Vital Signs uh, about the weighing of the heart, and uh, I thought maybe you could tell us a little about that in light of um, the NDE Life Review. Okay, the um, and the NDE has established a Life Review, and of course all the different religious faiths want to say, "Aha, the judgment! We found it. There's the there is a real judgment." And and well, yes, there is, but that judgment, the Life Review, is our judgment. It's not. God holding trial on us, it's us ourselves looking at was the life that we just lived worth it? Did we did we accomplish everything we came here to accomplish? After that life review, if we feel we did not accomplish everything we came here to accomplish, 
the typical thing that each NDE experiencer hears is you have to go back. You have to live a little longer. You're not done yet. Mm-hmm. And we come back here. Well, the judgment is totally our own. Am I finished or not? Was it good? Or was, you know? And so the final judgment, if we were to get there and not come back, is, yes, I'm finished, and it was good. I did everything I came to accomplish. Okay, that life review, as I explained in Vital Signs, is um, first appears about 6,000 years ago in the coffin text of Saqqara at uh, Memphis in Egypt. And um, those the, uh, about 6,000 years ago, when it was written in their picture language, and um, it's the weighing of the heart and the way it's told, and I have a, a papyrus of that, um, that's in the, the Louvre, um, and that papyrus shows Matt, M-A-A-T, Matt, the goddess of, of righteousness and correctness and all things of, uh, that are right. And she's weighing the heart of a recently deceased individual on a balanced scale. And she's weighing the heart to see if it's heavy. And weighed against it on the other side of the balance is the feather of righteousness, Matt's feather. And so this is where we get the phrase, light as a feather, mm-hmm. and um, it's weighing of the heart to see if that heart is still burdened by the troubles of this life. If that heart's still burdened by the troubles of this life and hasn't been through enough lessons in this lifetime to move on to the next level, and in the Egyptian um, mythology, it was to go live with Osiris in the stars. Um, and Osiris being the god, um, if it was still, heart was still heavy, you had to go through the underworld, go with the nuke at the little the dog that you always see, go with the nuke as your guide through the underworld, and come back and live another life in the physical world to get through with all your lessons in this life. On the other hand, if you were done with this life, the answer that we would give at the near-death uh, life review Yes, I'm done with this life. It was good. I'm finished. Then you would move on to the to life in the stars, and she would hand you the key of life, the ankh. And in Christianity, it's they hand you the crown of life, and you go live with God. But Christianity forgot about passing through the underworld and having another reincarnation. And when did that happen? The early Christians, Origen, the bishop at Alexandria in 200 A.D., um, Jerome. Um, uh, Gregory of Nyssa, all these people make reference to the fact that, and especially Origen, he even describes it in great detail, uh, the early church believed in reincarnation, the early Christian church. And Origen explains it very clearly that you come back, whatever you do in this life determines what's going to happen for, to you in the next life. He talks about karma that way. And in 553 A.D., Justinian, the emperor, called together an ecumenical council that decided to anathemize or shun Origen's ideas. And that was uh, uh, 340 years after Origen's dead. They're holding this, let's get rid of his ideas, let's throw out those original ideas of the early church that believed in reincarnation, and we'll just have one life. Why did Justinian want this? If you just have one life, you have to, to um, make your peace with the church before you die. If you've got reincarnation, 
and you didn't get it right this time around, you got a second chance or a fifth chance or whatever. So in order to have the the the, the, um, the church as a control system on the population, Justinian wanted this. And so he got rid of all of the... He also closed down all the pagan uh, religion uh, in Egypt. He He was doing this thing to control. He's an emperor. He's not a pope. The pope, Villages, wouldn't even come to that uh, ecumenical council, the fifth ecumenical council or the second ecumenical council at Constantinople. The pope wouldn't even attend. And that's all history. You can look that up. The pope wouldn't attend. Justinian got the bishops to shun these ideas of anybody who had the ideas of, of reincarnation. But he did not get the bishops to reject it. Just shun those people. That's all the bishops would give him. So they don't have no, they had, had at the time no biblical reason for not believing in reincarnation. They didn't give anything. They just said, we're going to shun those guys, okay? And then Justinian said, that's what I need. And from then on, the church, uh, Justinian and the Roman legions imposed upon the church, you can't believe in reincarnation. And it finally died out about 800 years later. Well, Alan, I'm sorry to say we're just about out of time here. And, okay. uh, my thanks to you. We've only really scratched the surface of the topics you've been researching. So we're going to have to have you back again sometime in the near future. Um, Alan, uh, tell our listeners how they can get your book and how to find your website. Uh, my website is www.afterlife.pro. P-R-O. Okay. Afterlife.com. And from there, it tells you how to order my book. You can just go on Amazon, The Death Experience, and my name, and you'll come, it'll pop up. It's available on Kindle and, and all the other electronic things. From uh, That's great. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, now, listeners, I want to thank you as well. Remember to check out our uh, previous shows at nderadio.org. And check out the uh, IANS homepage at IANDS.org for more on your death experience. We had a caller, um, and we were so busy with uh, Alan and this show uh, that we didn't have time to, uh, to answer. But I'll tell you, on November 4th, Monday, November 4th, we will dedicate the entire show to call-ins. Uh, Till next Monday at 11 a.m., East Coast time. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening to NDE Radio.